So, <laughs> fun topic that we get to wrestle with today. Depression, addiction, suicide. Um, I, I will say on the, the beginning of this, uh, just so everybody's all, we're all on the same page, we're not going to be diving extremely deep into these topics. This is kind of a upper level stuff, so there might be some things that you're sitting there that you might know or have you experienced or you think needs to be said and it might not get said. Uh, what I want to express with that is that's why we're, one of the significant uh, reasons we're doing this series is so that it starts conversation. Um, so hopefully by talking about this today, it can also spark some conversations where you can take what you know or you've experienced or maybe what even you're wrestling with and that can start some conversation. I, I also want to express, you know, everybody that's done these testimony videos, uh, I hope everybody understands uh, how absolutely difficult that was. Um, because that's one of the, my worries of today was, is getting up here and preaching on this. Is, is as I was writing notes and I was going through stuff, it, it was always in the back of my head, how personal do you get? Right? How, how much personal stuff do you add into things when you talk about subjects like this? So that was even one of my own struggles in, in preparing all of this. So, so I just say that as... as these people in our, in our church have gotten up and, and done these videos. I really encourage you to just realize how significant that is that they're opening up with some of this stuff. Especially when you notice one of the things that Tim just got done saying is this idea of, uh, I don't want people to even see this in me. Like, I hide. When I'm bro I don't want you to know I'm broken. So, so these are some powerful words that you're hearing, and I don't want that to, to be missed. Um, so as we jump into this, let's, let's just jump right in and kind of look at it this way. Um, you can look at those, and, and we can look at that and say, you know what, I, I see there's a problem there, right? It's easy to look at those two pictures and be like, that's not the way it's supposed to be, right? Uh, I, I can clearly see there's an issue, and, and something needs to be done, uh, some healing needs to happen, they're not going to function the way normally, you know, so, so that's clear to me, and here's one of the struggles with this, as a person that does struggle with depression myself, I will be completely honest with this, for years, I was very judgmental towards people with depression, did you hear me on that? As a person that struggled with it, it was very easy to be very judgmental towards people with depression because it was being judgmental even towards myself because it's something that I didn't want to acknowledge. It's something I didn't want to admit. One of the things that I've learned as I've gotten older in life is many times the things that we like to point out in others and really like nitpick in others many times can actually be something that we're dealing with ourselves. Um, and, and God made me have to deal with that in my own life because I could look at people with depression or I could look at people that even would say things like Tim would say, and I even had the attitude of, would you just suck it up? Right? That was kind of my attitude. That was the attitude I had because that was what I was telling myself with a lot of the things that I was feeling. Would you just suck it up, get over it, quit being a baby, quit crying about stuff, just don't act this way. That was the stuff. So, so I wanted us to see this because depression is one of those things that people struggle with that it's not always like clear-cut to be able to see it. It's not like we can take a scan and, and, and automatically say, well, everything you're feeling makes total sense because we can see it. And, and so as we start this, I want us to understand that as we talk about this subject, especially when we start talking about even addiction, what I, what I love about addiction, we'll get into this a little bit here, 
I hope everybody's ready for this because there's a good chance there's people in this room that right now you're saying, well, I don't have an addiction, but there's a good chance you do. It's just what we've turned addiction is into is we say, well, I'm not like those people, and those people being people that the addiction has to be alcohol or drugs. Well, I'm not like those people. I don't have an addiction. You're going to find out there's a lot of stuff that we can have addictions to because of this issue that we're talking about. So I hope everybody's kind of prepared for that, too, because we've got to let go of this. Well, I'm not like those people. Because the reality is that I am those people. Right? There, there's no us and them. And, and so as we get into this, I just want us to understand that, that, that hopefully we're open to kind of wrestling with some of the conclusions maybe we've had or some of the ways that we've kind of seen some of these things. But let's, let's look at the definition of depression just for a moment. Not my definition, medical definition. Depression, a medical illness that negatively affects how you feel, the way you think, and how you act. Depression causes feeling of sadness and or loss of interest in activities once enjoyed. It can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems and can decrease a person's ability to function at work and at home. All right? So, so that's like the, the medical definition, so to speak. Um, again, I still wrestle with sometimes when I read that. The first time I read that, I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. Uh, but inside, I'm, I'm sitting there like, just get over it. Do what you got to do, right? Do what you got to do. That's, that's part of being an adult. Do what you got to do. Get up, go to work. Um, what does depression look like? Well, it looks like this. In the last year, these are two pastors that have committed suicide. Both of these have impacted me. Like, just, Pastor Jared's the most recent one. This is the one Pastor Matt was talking about last week. Both of these have impacted me significantly. Um, especially Pastor Jared. These were two instances where I started wrestling a lot more, especially the first one, Pastor Andrew, was the first one that I started wrestling with this idea that as pastors, right, uh, pastors should have, you know, this is always my internal wrestle. We should have everything figured out. We should have all the answers. We should be good. We should not wrestle with this stuff. So when I wrestled with my own depression, I would then feel guilty because I was like, you should have this all figured out because how can you help anybody else if you're struggling yourself? How can you get up, I mean, I used to think this on Sunday mornings many times, how do you have the right to get up and say anything when you just yesterday were in this complete pit of despair that you didn't even want to leave your house? What right do you have to get up? There were many times I would get up, especially leading worship, and you'd get up and lead worship, and you'd be like, hey, God is great, and, and faith is, all, is awesome, and, and God's victories, and you'd say all these things, and internally, I'm just complete opposite inside. And many times I would wrestle and feel like a hypocrite. Okay? And, and so when, when these two instances happen, and just this week when, when Pastor Jared co uh, committed suicide, and I remember opening up my phone and seeing that, and this overwhelming, just this wave of emotion just came over me because I was like, oh my goodness, and again, another one. Um, it, ju it just hit me. And <laughs> I'll actually share this. It was Pastor Jared, and, and I'll get into this a little bit more later on in the sermon, but I, I figure it's a good place to share it now. Pastor Jared's the one that actually the next day, Pastor Matt and I were down at the Revolution Building, and we were talking about some stuff, and I looked at him and said, hey, before we go any farther, i got to talk to you. And, and it's like, before we go any farther, i got to say this. I have to say this out loud. I said, listen to me, I am not suicidal, but I need somebody to know that I've had suicidal thoughts. And the reason I was like, i got to say this is because if it ever gets darker, I want to already have the door open with somebody so that if it gets darker, 
I have that ability to go to somebody and say it's bad because if I don't do it now, I'm going to feel guilty and not do it then. Because the reality is, and here's the thing, I'm, I'm not anticipating it ever gets to that point, but I'm sure both of them never anticipated it ever get to that point. Do you hear what I'm saying? So when, when we say, what does depression look like? That's what depression looks like. That's the point. You can't look at somebody and be like, man, you're, I can see, I see depression in you. It looks just like anybody else. And many times, here's the thing. I mean, I'll, I'll say this, and, and I've, I've actually talked to him about this. I have known Tim. We went to school together, right? Tim is not a person that I would have put that, like, I never would have even put that there. Because every time we talk, and every time he's always joking, he's always having fun, he's always laughing, he's always doing all the things. But here's the deal. He just admitted to it. That's one of the things you do to try to mask it. Because you don't want to have to face it. You want to live in that denial of this is the struggle. So what does depression look like? It looks like anybody in this room. Anybody in this room can be struggling with some form, some level, some degree of depression. I guarantee you there are people in this room that have struggled with suicidal thoughts. There's even potential that somebody's even gone farther than that. That's just the reality, and we as the church got to wake up and realize that. This is a heavy topic, and hopefully, here in a little bit, we're going to, hear me on this, we're going to get to some good stuff, right? Track with me. Because even as I was entering into the sermon, I'm like, oh my goodness, I really, I mean, okay, God, you got to take us somewhere really good here. But we as a church got to start opening up to this kind of stuff. Because the number one place where I should be able to say I'm depressed is in the church. The number one place I should be able to say, hey, I'm having suicidal thoughts is in the church. The number one place I should be able to say I'm struggling with addiction should be in the church. And we as the church have to get to the place where we also are ready to receive when we hear those things. And, and can, can I just say this, and I'm not trying to downplay this because I believe good-meaning Christians, we do this. I'm not trying to downplay our, our sincerity, but I don't need one. If I come to somebody and I'm like, I'm struggling, I don't need a Bible verse. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes this is like, I, I've had that, but you know, I come to somebody and I was like, man, I, I'm, I'm struggling today, and, and, and I'll get the, hey, I hear you. Listen, you can do all things through Christ. It's like, I get that, but I don't care right now, because I'm struggling. That's not helping me any, because if you remember the definition of depression, it messes how you think. So it's like, yeah, I get it, but I don't get it right? It's in those moments that we as the church, I don't need somebody to try to pick me up. I need somebody that's going to come alongside and journey with me. Does that make sense? When I'm going through the valley, I don't need somebody to yell up from up top trying to tell me the good news to get out of it. I need somebody to walk through the valley with me. And that's something we need to be ready to do in the church when it comes to these issues. It is realize it's not a quick fix. It's not a, I'm going to give you this little piece of truth and all of a sudden the light bulb's going to go off in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, duh, why didn't I think of that? And we have to understand some of that stuff. So let's process depression a little bit more. So let's look, these symptoms. And I wanted to share this because I want us to look at this and say, wait a minute. I can kind of relate to some of that. Because again, a couple years ago, I never would have said, hey, I'm a person that struggles with depression. Right? I never would have said that. But notice some of this. Depression. It's when you have feelings of sadness, emptiness, anxiousness. Right? Depression. Feeling helpless, worthless, or guilty. Feeling hopeless, 
being irritable. See, I can relate to what Tim was saying because the brunt of my irritability is my wife and kids. I, I actually feel bad for my family, and I'm not saying this uh, in, in a, I'm, I'm dead serious on this. My wife has made reference to this before. I can come to church and be as sweet as can be to everybody in this room. Completely different when I get around my family. Right? I can go and, and Matt and I can sit down and Matt and I can have conversations for hours. I can go home and not feel like I can say a word to my wife. Right? Loss of, or a loss of interest or pleasure in activities once enjoyed. This is one of the hard ones. Because here's why I wrestled with this so much. I would look at my life and say, here's the deal. I have no reason to be depressed. I got an awesome family. I got two beautiful girls. I got an amazing wife. I, God provides everything I need. I am not going hungry. I get the stuff that I want for the most part. I have a nice home. Like, life is good. That's one of the things I wrestled with. Life is good. But it amazes me sometimes as I've embraced this and started paying attention how I could sit in the middle of my, my home, sit in the middle of the many blessings God has given to me, and I have absolutely no interest in it whatsoever. I, I get no joy or satisfaction out of it. And that's not, a, and it, I'm not putting that on my family, I'm not putting that on one, God, I'm not putting, it's just some weird thing about having all of this stuff and having no interest in it whatsoever getting no joy and no pleasure out of it whatsoever. The things that used to fill me with excitement, there's no excitement anymore. Here's how I say it. I'm just numb when I get into these moments. I'm just numb. I feel nothing. I feel no joy, no excitement, no pleasure. Just numb. Loss of energy, increased fatigue, I have days where the only thing, I mean, and we all have these moments, but I, I can relate to what Tim was said. I don't want to get up. All I want to do is nap. All I want to do is sleep. All I want to do is nothing. Like I have no, I mean, I, I, that makes sense to me. Difficulty thinking, concentrating, making decisions, changes in appetite, either weight gain or weight loss. And then thoughts of suicide can be symptoms of depression. Now here's the, th here's the deal. All of us probably looking at that list are like, hey, I felt that before. Here's the difference between struggling with depression and just dealing with life. Because here's the deal. I'm sure everybody in this room has been irritable sometime this week. I'm sure everybody in this room has been tired and wanted, wanted the afternoon nap. So I'm not sitting here when I say I'm tired and it's like, man, I'm tired. I must be depressed. That's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about here with depression is when you have prolonged seasons of life where this is what you're going through. To some degree... In fact, a lot of medical things would say if you are two weeks or more struggling with this stuff, then you might want to start asking yourself, hey, is there something else going on here? This isn't just, hey, I've had a bad day and I feel down. This isn't just, hey, there's something that happened in my life and I'm struggling with it. But you know what? I have good days, I have bad days. No, depression is worse. It's constant. In fact, it's not just constant. It's like, as time goes on, it just gets worse and worse and worse. See, this is what we're talking about. So again, it's not to try to find depression but to behind every door. And we could do that, right? We could say, hey, I have like three out of the four out of that, you know, or three, three or four out of that this morning. doesn't mean you're depressed. It doesn't mean you struggle with that. It just, these are parts of life. What I'm talking about is this consistent, it just doesn't go away. It gets worse. You can't get out of it. 
And one of the things that's worse, that's horrible about depression, and just hear me on this, I'm going to share some of my own personal stuff. I have days where I am unbelievably lonely. In fact, I, it just got said by somebody else this morning, and as I'm sitting there, like, yep, I can relate to that. Unbelievably lonely. I mean, horribly lonely. Like, to the point that I am emotionally feel like I'm breaking inside lonely, but I don't want to be around people. It's one of the worst feelings to have when it comes to this, because all you want more than anything else is to make a human connection with somebody else, but everything in you is like, I do not want to be around people. So you just set in this, this darkness of, of despair, and all you want to do is get out of it. Here's the thing about depression. I have days where mentally, and, and I'm just like, I want to accomplish some amazing things today. But then the other part of me is just like the, the thought of even the anxiety and the, and the fear and the idea of even going outside. I, I don't even want to do it. I have to force myself many times to be like, yeah, I go to work. Because I, I have to actually have those internal conversations with, with myself. You've got to get up and go to work. And I'll say, I don't want to go to work. I just want to stay at home. Yeah, you've got to go to work. Why? Because I have a wife and a kid. I'm going to provide. I'm not going to lose my job. Get your butt up and go to work. I mean, these are some of the things that I, mean, that I can struggle with when I fall into these deep places of depression. Now, here's the thing about depression. I'm not there all the time. And most people that are depressed are not there all the time. But, man, when you fall into it, it's hard and it's difficult. And they can last for extremely long periods of time. And all you want to do is pretend and hide. Here's the number one way that I mask my depression. I'm sarcastic. Number one way I hide my depression is I'm sarcastic. Right? Because if we joke around and we keep things on that loose little level, I don't have to face what I'm feeling. And I don't have to take the chance that you're going to see that I'm feeling something that isn't, it, it isn't good. Now, hear me on this. Every time I'm sarcastic, don't look at me like, oh, he's so depressed. <laughs> that poor, poor man. I'm just sarcastic. That's just the way it's going to be. But I'm telling you, one of the number one ways that I hide it is you hide it through humor, right? Because if I can keep it light, then I don't have to face things. But when you think about symptoms of depression, I want you to understand this. I can have moments. Just, I mean, and I can't, I'm not going to speak to anybody else. I'm saying me. This is me. I can have moments where I can be looking at you in the face and we can be having a wonderful conversation. And I'm enjoying it. Don't get me wrong. So when I say this, it's not saying, but if I'm in a moment where, where I'm struggling with something, I can have a conversation. I can be joking and laughing on the outside. Inside, I feel like I could start crying in an instant. Like, it just, you almost feel like at any moment things could break. Now, here's why it's a struggle to share some of this stuff, because, not because, it, you know, I'm worried to share it, but sometimes when you say some of this stuff, like, I just got done saying that there are times I feel like I just want to break down and cry, and, and everything that society tells me is, as a man, I shouldn't say that. Everything society tells me, if you're going to be a man, you can't say that kind of stuff, that's, that's weak. Can I tell you something when it comes to depression and these mental health issues that we're talking about, especially men, I want you to hear this. You are more of a man when you face it than hide it. Being a man doesn't mean we just hide stuff. Being a man is when we admit stuff, when we face it, when we are honest and true and we deal with it. That is being more of a man. So now let's talk about some risk factors just for a moment. Don't jump down to number four right away. I'll explain that because some people are like, wait a minute. We don't want to talk about that. But let's, let's just jump through this for, for a moment. So some of the risk factors. What, are some of the, what, what causes depression? 
Well, realize this isn't all exhaustive list. I'm just going to give you some of the top ones. Well, of course, they say genetics can have a factor in depression. It's interesting, studies show that if you come from a family that struggles with depression, then you have a better risk factor of being depressed. That doesn't mean that you're going to have depression, but coming from a family that struggles with depressions, you have a risk factor, you have a higher chance of developing or dealing with depression in your life, right? Some of this, I say, is genetic, but I also want us to understand that it also connects with our experiences and circumstances, because here's the deal. If we grow up with family members that are always living depressed, we can, as we, as we uh, develop, we kind of start seeing, like, that's the, way, that's the way you live life, right? Like, if I see a depressed parent, uh, I can start kind of following in their footsteps, so to speak. So some of it isn't just genetically as far as chemistry and all that kind of stuff, but some of it can just be, I learn from the people that I'm around, and I can adapt to the way that they live. But then you have brain structure. Now, I showed you the x-rays in the beginning. Now, let's look at this. See the difference? The one that's all lit up and colorful, that's a person that doesn't struggle with depression. The one that's a little darker, that's a person that does struggle with depression. Do you see some difference in the way the brain works? So, so when we treat depression as this, I'm just going to throw some scripture at it, or I'm just going to throw some, some kind, you know, it, it's like that's just going to change everything. So people that struggle with depression, there's a brain chemistry thing that's going on. I don't understand it because I'm not that smart. But I can look at a picture. I like pictures. That makes sense to me. Like, I can look at that and see there's something not right there. And that makes a little bit more sense. So as Pastor Matt has said the last couple of weeks, there's nothing wrong when if you struggle with stuff, go speak to somebody. You might need to be put on some medication. I will say it. I am on medication for it. I'm not ashamed to say that. A year ago, I probably would have been because I felt like it was failure. I felt like I was giving up. I felt like I wasn't trusting God. I felt like, well, Jesus is bigger than all this, so should, Jesus should just take care of it, right? But I'll tell you what, there's a big, I can tell a difference when I'm not on my medication and when I am. So, so there's chemistry stuff. There's brain activity. There's stuff we have to understand with this. Oh, back to our risk factors. Also, those circumstances, right? Uh, sometimes circumstances or experiences can trigger depression in people. Uh, death. A significant loss, conflict, uh, abuse, illnesses, uh, even other medications can cause depression to kind of kick in. Uh, being isolated socially, if you're a person that don't have a lot of support structures around you, that can drive you into feeling depression. Uh, here's one that's really interesting, though, that a lot of people don't think about. Even good life changes can cause depression. Right? This sounds weird, but it, it, even good life changes can cause depression. Um, graduations, marriages, the birth of a child, a new job, retirement. These, can, these things can also trigger depression. Some people might be like, well, wait a minute. How can that trigger depression? Well, I can give you significant from my, from my standpoint. When my children were born, it was the greatest experience of my life. Don't get me wrong. It was the greatest day of my life when both of my children were born. I loved it. I was excited. I was all that. But then all of a sudden, things shifted, and I felt this over just overwhelming burden of you're going to fail you're going to screw them up you're going to do and, and all of a sudden inwardly it took me to a very dark place the birth of my own children 
right? Graduation can happen that to some people. Life changes. When sh life shifts to a new thing, moving to a new community, you can go and be excited. Changes can make you excited, but they can also trigger depression in people because now they've lost something or they feel they've lost something or they feel they're going to fail or they feel like uh, I can't do this or I'm not worthy of this. Notice and remember, one of the significant symptoms of depression is I am worthless, I am a failure. I will never succeed. I don't deserve any of this. It's not just, oh, I feel bad because it's rainy outside. A big factor of depression is challenging your very identity of who you are in your own worth. So even when good things happen to you, you can still sit there and say, I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy of this. You're waiting for the, the carpet to be pulled out from underneath you. That's where their anxiousness comes in. You're always waiting for something bad to happen because you don't feel like you deserve to have the things that God gives you. Even when God is blessing you in, in amazing ways, you can still struggle with it. Because you feel like you have no reason whatsoever to have it. And the last one up there is sin. Now, Pastor Matt alluded to this, that we live in a sinful world, we live in a broken world, we live in a fallen world. And mental health issues and mental illness, this is a consequence of, of things being broken, things the way God created it to be, but now it's broken and it's messed up, and we have to deal with these things. But I want to go one step beyond that, and yes, I have to deal with these things, other people deal with these things, because this is a, this is a fallen body, this is a fallen reality that I live in. But I can also perpetuate my depression. I can also increase my depression because of my own sin. When I enter into the things that I know God doesn't want for me, and I usually try to do it because I'm trying to make myself, myself feel better, what ends up happening is it does the complete opposite. It makes me feel better for a moment, and then it brings a significant wave of guilt that just perpetuates my depression even more. See, King David dealt with this. King David had this moment, and those that, if we don't know the story well, King David committed a horrible sin. He had an, an adulterous affair with a married woman, ends up having the husband of this woman killed to hide his sin. And if you read the Psalms, you have moments in the Psalms where David is crying out, where he's just like, my sin is literally destroying me. Inwardly, I'm wasting away. I feel your heavy hand upon me. He, he's talking, he's, he's giving insight into being a very depressed individual because of his sin. So when I say this, risk factors, I want us to understand that some of the risk factors, we do have some control over in the sense of the choices that I make actually can make my sin even worse, or make my depression even worse. And I've learned this from personal experience. So I guess I won't put it on anybody else. I'll say I know it's true for me. That my sins can actually make my depression worse. But here's the ultimate thing I want us to understand today. Depression is a complex illness with many contributing factors. So what I want to say with that is these are just four things. I don't want us to, I want us to understand something with depression. We can't sit here and say, oh, I, I got this all figured out. I know all this stuff. Just this one sermon is going to make us experts on depression. Here's the deal. It's complex. I suffer from it, and I don't understand it one bit. Because I can wake up on days... And, and I, here's the deal, I, I've had days where I can wake up in the morning and I am like excited for the day, I am energetic for the day, I am just like, I'm going to conquer the world today. And by the time one hour into the day comes, everything is completely opposite. And I'm like, where did that come from? 
Why do I feel this way? Why am I thinking this way? Why am I struggling so much? One of the ways that I explain depression for myself is, and maybe this will help, I don't know, I attribute depression like walking through life like you're walking through mud. And here's what I mean by that. I have some days where the mud's only at my feet and it's not a bad day. I have other days where the mud's up to my knees. I have other days where it's to my waist. I have days where it's all the way up to my neck. Imagine, I mean, just picture that for a moment. That's what it's like some days. Some days I can wake up and be like, this is the greatest day ever. And it is. I can have months where this is the greatest day ever. And then other times I fall into these moments and these times and these seasons where it's like walking through mud at different degrees and levels. And it's hard. And it's difficult. And I don't like it. And I wish it was different. But it's just the way it is right now. So, let's talk about addiction just for a moment. So, definition of addiction. A condition in which a person engages in the use of a substance or behavior for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to repeatedly pursue despite detrimental consequences. Basically, it's like, hey, I got something in my life that makes me feel good, and because it makes me feel good, I'm going to keep chasing after it even if it's hurting me, even if it's harming me. Here's why we put depression and addiction together. Depression does not create addiction. Addiction does not create depression. What I mean by that is a person could be depressed and not have a major addiction. A person could be addicted to something and not have depression. So I don't want you to say here like every depressed person is addicted and every addicted person to something is depressed. That's not what we're saying. But what the two do to one another is they're like fuel on the fire. Right? Because when I'm depressed... When I fall into those seasons of depression and I'm struggling, all I want more than anything is something to make me feel better. I want something that's going to make me feel better. So normally that's chasing after something that's going to give a quick fix to make you feel better. And for a lot of people, that could be alcohol, that could be drugs. But I don't want to spend a lot of time on, my, on addiction. Basically, I want us to challenge ourselves just for a moment. Here's some other things you could be addicted to. You can be addicted to food. You can be addicted to shopping. You can be addicted to gambling. You can be addicted to pornography, to love. Let me explain love for a moment, because some of you are like, well, what, shouldn't you want love? Addiction to love would be somebody that's like, I can't feel worth, and I've I got to have somebody in my life. I've got to have somebody making me feel better. I need somebody. I need love. I need love. Like, give me love. Give me love. Give me love. Give me love. I've got to have love, because I'm not worth, and, I mean, I, I've dealt with this, right? You have a person that's like, let's say a relationship ends. And, you, and you're trying to help that, like, if you've ever been in this situation, somebody, relationship ends, and you're trying to help that person that's distraught about the relationship, and then the next day they come back to you, he's like, I found somebody. And you're like, what? What do you mean you found somebody? It's like, I need somebody. I need to have somebody in my life giving me love. Right? You can be addicted to sex. You can be addicted to having control. Right? It's not bad to have control, but you ever met those people that's like, they have to be in control of everything? You can be addicted to that. You can be addicted that I have to have control of everything at all times. That can be an addiction. Because if you don't have control, if you're like going through withdrawals, then that usually means it's an addiction. You can be addicted to exercise. Okay? You can be addicted to television. You can be addicted to sports. You can be addicted to video games. You can be addicted to your cell phone. Anybody have, ever have withdrawals when you leave your cell phone somewhere? Right? It's like, I need it. I, I got to have it. Where's it at? Right? You can be addicted to cutting. Those people that, like, actually harm themselves. Here, I threw this one up here because I thought it was interesting. You can also be addicted to gossip. 
And what I mean by that is you can be addicted, you can be a person that's addicted that you got to talk all the time. Like, i got to talk about somebody. I want to know the juicy gossip. i got to, you know, you, 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 ever, you ever notice, like, you, when you go to Fairway, they always put the gossip stuff right there? Right? I mean, it's like you have to know the next thing. you got to know what's going on in everybody's lives. you got to know every little tidbit of stuff. That can be an addiction because it makes you feel better about yourself. I didn't put it up there, but you can be addicted to work. You can be addicted to your job. Right? These are things that you can be addicted to. What I want you to understand with this, what does it mean to be a, a, have an addiction? Addiction is simply this. This is the way I define it for myself. An addiction is anything in my life that has control over me. If it has control over me, then it's an addiction. If I can't let it go, if I can't do without it, if it has control of me and I don't have control of it, then it is an addiction. And if it's something that I have to chase after to make myself feel better, then I need to stop and ask, does this have an inappropriate place in my life? See, what happens with addictions is we seek to feel good because of it, and then over time we don't get the high that we used to get. And when I say high, again, you can get high from any of these things. You can get this, this feeling of pleasure out of any of these things. And then what ends up happening is if we don't supply that to our lives, if we literally go through withdrawal because of not having that, then we're addicted to it. This is why Celebrate Recovery is such an amazing program because it basically says, listen, it's not just drugs and alcohol that people can be hung up on. There's a lot of stuff that people can be hung up on. And then what ultimately happens, unfortunately, is because of depression and addiction, because here's the thing about addiction. Some people, they might love their addiction. Uh, I hate my addictions that I've had to struggle with. I literally hate them. But then I find myself chasing after them. It's, just a, it's a weird thing. I hate it more than anything. And what ends up happening is, is then we start talking about suicide a little bit. And this is something that Job said in, in chapter 3 of his book. And if you read chapter 3 of, of Job, Job says all throughout chapter 3, the entire thing is him basically, he's, he's literally suicidal in chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Job, he starts out by saying, it would have been better if the day I was born never existed. Like he literally says, it would have been better if my mother never would have nursed me at all. I mean, he, he's to the point of my life, I don't even want to live anymore. And he ends chapter 3 by saying this, I don't have any peace and quiet, I can't find any rest, all I have is trouble. I'm not going to get into a lot about suicide because I, don't, I just don't want to dig into that real deep. But here's the thing I want to tell you. Whenever I've had those moments of thoughts, and when I say I've had thoughts of suicide, my thoughts have never been planning it out. My thoughts have been, you know what? In a split second, this could be over. And then I'll say, stupid, don't say that. Knock it off. And I'll catch it, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to think something different. But I've had moments where I've literally sat there and said, and I didn't dwell on it, but I had the thought, you know what, this would be real easy to be over in a split second. I don't have to feel this anymore in a split second. All I have is trouble. I don't have any peace. I don't have any quiet. This could be done in a moment. I've had those thoughts. And, and that's when you think about a person that's like teetering and heading towards suicide. They have these thoughts of, I can't take this anymore. 
I'm tired of this. I have no peace. I have no quiet. I can't find any rest. Here's my solution. I'm going to take it. So here's the thing. That's all I want to say about suicide just for a moment. It's horrible when a person gets to that point. If anybody is struggling with that now, talk to somebody. Man, I hope by me saying I've struggled with it, you can talk to me because I, here's, you got to talk to somebody. But here's the thing. I want us to understand. Suicide... It's not the way God wants it. We have to address that it is wrong. It is a sin. It's not what God desires for us. But here's the thing. I want everybody to hear this just for a moment. Just because we struggle with suicidal thoughts, because I've wrestled with this, I must not be a Christian if I think that way. God must not love me if I think that way. There's something wrong with me if I think that way. Hear me just for a moment. Even when I am at my darkest moment as a Christian in life, it never undoes what Jesus has done for me. Even when I'm struggling in the darkest moment and I'm dreading life, it does not change what Jesus has done for me on the cross. It does not change the love and devotion that he has for me as a child. I need to stop. We need to stop focusing on the actions of the person and focus more on the actions of Jesus. And that's all I want to say with that, because if you're struggling with that, you're going to have all these guilty feelings on what's wrong with you. Well, let's stop looking at what's wrong with us, and let's look at what's right with him. And, and that's what we as the church need to start understanding, because we don't talk about this a lot in the churches, because here's the deal. Some people that struggle with this, they feel like all they're going to get is judgment. They feel like we're going to get, like, you have no right to think that way. Why are you thinking without? Jesus is bigger than, you know what I mean? You can get in weird places in what you think. But here's the deal when it comes to suicide, when it comes to depression, when it comes to addiction. And hear me on this, church. We have to make sure that we do everything we can to not approach these subjects with a judgmental attitude, but with a compassionate attitude. Because here's the deal. I'm already struggling with my depression. I don't need anybody else to help me struggle more. I'm already struggling with addiction. I don't need other people to help me struggle more. I'm already struggling with suicidal thoughts. I don't need people to tell me why I'm wrong for having suicidal thoughts. I don't need that. What I need is compassion. Remember I told you, I don't need somebody screaming from the top of the hole on how to get out. I need somebody to come down and help walk through those darkest times. So we have to understand that as a church, and we can all do that. Now, here's the thing. Let's jump into some good stuff real quick, and hopefully I can get through this quick, uh, because I really would have liked to have done this sermon in two parts, but that's not possible, because Matt didn't let me. Um, so, so let's get into, I, wanna throw, I don't have time for this. I'm going to throw you out for what you said last week, but I don't have time. So let's get into some good stuff. So let's jump into some good stuff. This is what I focus on when I struggle in my depression. So if this helps anybody, I hope so. Because these are the three things I focus on when I struggle in these moments with my addictions, with my depression, and even when I get into ideas of like, hey, this could be over very quickly. The first one is this. I tell myself, I remind myself, I am not alone. Right? I focus on my hope that is in God. I focus on the fact that God is with me every moment of the day, whether I feel like it or not, whether I believe it or not. I remind myself, remember, depression challenges and it affects the way you think. So I have to make sure that I have to stop and say, nope, I'm taking that lie captive and I'm going to replace it with some truth. That's scriptural. Take every thought captive and bring it under the obedience of Jesus Christ. I have to remind myself, it doesn't matter what I feel. Feelings are not facts, right? I have to remind myself of that. I'm alone. I'm isolated. I'm broken. I'm destroyed. I can't do this. I can never overcome this. No, wait a minute. I am not alone. I put my hope in God. Notice what scripture says. Psalm says this. Why are you downcast, O my soul, right? Why are you depressed? 
Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Right? I'm not blatantly throwing scripture at us like this is going to make everything better. You got to work at this. You have to strive at this. You got to fight for this, right? I have to fight every time when I have to remind myself of this to knock it off. Don't focus what I'm feeling. Focus on the truth that God tells me. Then I got to remember him. I am not alone. I'm going to put my hope not in myself. I'm going to put my hope in God. Okay? I want to say this real quick about not being alone. It's not just putting your hope in God. It's also knowing that you're not alone. You need to realize that if you're part of the church, you're not alone. This is why we're called to rely on one another. This is why we're called to carry one another's burdens. This is why we're called to share with one another. I heard an interesting quote that I was just like, man, that is good. It said this. He said, you can learn some things by setting in a row. But you can learn a lot of things while setting in a circle. And what they were saying was this, is you can come to church, and if this is the only experience you have in church, is just coming on Sunday and sitting in the row, you can get some good stuff out of this, and you can learn a little bit, but if you really want to take your, your life and take it to a place where God really wants it, you got to get in a circle. Meaning you need to get around people. Right? You need to start trusting people. You need to start relying on people. That's why small groups are a powerful thing. That's why accountability groups are a powerful thing. That's why building friendship is a powerful thing. Because the enemy wants you isolated. Because if you're isolated, you're easier to take out. So when we talk about depression and addiction and suicide and these mental health issues, circle the wagon, so to speak. Circle it up so you can start relying on the people that are around you. The second thing I remind myself is this. I am not defeated, meaning my confidence is with Jesus. So what I mean by that, it's not just my confidence is in Jesus. My confidence is actually with Jesus because he's with me. Notice what scripture says, Psalms 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why I share this one is because of this. The psalmist here is not talking about the shadow of death, meaning he's heading towards death. He means he's under the shadow that is caused by death, right? It's kind of this imagery of he's not facing death. He's facing the shadow of it, right? The depression of this broken world, the depression that weighs on us, the burdens that come upon us, the things that try to destroy us and weigh us down. He's like, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear no evil because guess who's right next to me? And he goes on, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What I love about this is the rod and the staff, right? I'm not defeated because Jesus is the shepherd. I'm not. The rod and the staff, that's what he uses to defend me and protect me and to guide me and to, and to, to lead me where he wants me to be. I put my confidence in the fact that when I fall down, he's there to pick me back up because that staff is what he uses to grab me and bring me back to my feet and say hey we're keeping moving forward you're not going to lie down you're not going to give up this is really interesting i was in des moines for three days this week for training and i watched rocky five it's like the worst of all the rocky movies right but for some reason i was watching it rocky five i'm here to tell you i got emotional watching rocky five 
Here I am in my hotel room getting emotional, and I'm watching Rocky V because anybody that hasn't seen it, as like every other Rocky movie, Rocky gets beat up. He's on the ground. He, he looks like he's defeated. He looks like he's done. He starts going through flashbacks of all his other defeats and all the times he's failed, and then all of a sudden Mickey shows up. Mickey shows up, and Mickey, all of a sudden you hear Mickey say this. He's just like, get up one more round. And all of a sudden I felt my insides were like, yeah, that's awesome. Right, and then you hear the Rocky music, you know, it's like, dun, dun, dun. you're like, oh, this is the most amazing thing ever. Worst movie ever, but it's the most amazing thing ever. And then all of a sudden, Mickey says this, he's like, I didn't hear no bell, get up because Mickey loves you. And in that moment, it was like God wrapped his arms around me, he said, listen, every time you feel like you've been knocked down, I'm the one that's saying, get up because I love you. I didn't hear no bell, get up. Every time you get knocked down and you feel like you're defeated and you're in despair and you're in hopelessness, realize that God will whisper to you and say, get up, I didn't hear no bell. One more round, get up because Jesus loves you. Here's the last one, and I'm running out of time. I remind myself that I'm not finished. And I focused on, I focus on my God-sized purpose. Pastor Matt shared this verse last week. He, he said, for we are God's workmanship, right? He talked about it, we're God's masterpiece, that were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. This tells me that God created me for a God-sized purpose. Why is it a God-sized purpose? Because God's the one that gave it to me. It doesn't matter if the world sees it as a small purpose. If God says, this is what I want you to do, it's a God-sized purpose. And I remind myself of that. See, what's unfortunate is we spend more time focusing on where we fall then we focus on the victories that we've had. And this is what I do. I get, I get lost in, oh, I haven't done enough. I haven't made enough advancement. I haven't done the things that God wants me to do. And God reminds me, he says, would you stop focusing on what you haven't done yet and focus on what you have? And leave it up to me because I'm the one that prepared these in advance for you to do. This is my purpose for your life. You're not finished. So when I want to give up, I remind myself I'm not finished because I have a God-sized purpose. Lord, it'd be so easy for this life to end. Well, it's not going to because you have a God-sized purpose. Knock it off. Get moving. I'm with you. I will walk with you every step of the way. Trust me. As we close, I want to give us this last verse. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Therefore, because we know that, you gotta love that word, therefore. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The second part of this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Here's my last little piece of uh, encouragement that I give for me. There are many times I'll look at God and say, God, why aren't you changing this? Why aren't you taking this away? I'm tired of this. I don't want to be this way anymore. Just get rid of it. That's my prayer a lot of times, too, is like, God, get rid of it. God started to challenge me recently that I'm praying the wrong thing. When I start praying, God, get me out of this, God says you're praying the wrong thing. What you need to start praying is, God, let me see that you're walking through this with me. Like, let me see that you're with me. Let me see that I have you right next to me. Let me start praying instead. God, instead of get me out of this, I need to start praying, God, what are you showing me? What are you teaching me? What are you changing in me? What glory are you bringing yourself through this? 
right? Because I just want God to pull the ripcord and just get me out of it. Jesus is more like, listen, I'm going to do something awesome through this if you just trust me. I'm going to show you things about me that you've never seen before. You're going to experience stuff about me you've never experienced before. I'm going to show you how awesome I am. And every time I think about this, I think about Paul. When Paul says, I had a thorn in my flesh that I asked for God to get rid of. And what did Jesus say to Paul when he said, get rid of the thorn? My grace is sufficient for you. Don't ask to get out of it. Instead, ask that you understand I'm going to get you through it. Start praying, open my eyes so that I can see what you're doing that I don't see. Let me stop fixing my eyes on what I see, and let me start fixing my eyes on what I don't see. Right? So if I fix my eyes on what I see, I'm just going to focus on the struggle. I'm going to focus on what's hurting me. I'm going to focus on my depression. I'm going to focus on my addiction. I'm going to focus on I don't want to do this anymore if I look on what's seen. But Jesus says, stop looking at that. Look at me. Look at me. I've done this with my daughter. I remember when our daughter, daughter was young, and then I'll pray will be done. I remember when my daughter was young, there was a moment we had to take her to the doctor, and they had to stick IVs in her, and they had to draw blood, and they had to do this stuff. And she was really young, and I was like, I'm gonna, I, I didn't like it. I wanted to hit the guy that was doing it because he was hurting my baby, right? In the middle of her pain and her cries of stop it, don't do this, why? I mean, when she was in this moment, you have those moments as parents, right? You look at your child, and you're like, don't look at that. Look at me. Look at me right here. Look at me. Don't look at the needle, look at me. Don't look at, what, look at me. And this is what Paul's saying when he's saying this. He's like, hey, we can look at all the other stuff, but Jesus is saying, stop it, look at me. But Lord, stop the pain. Don't worry, look at me. Keep your eyes right here and look at me. Because I'm with you. And you're not defeated. And you have a purpose. You have a future. Look at me. This is where my greatest source of encouragement is when I choose to stop looking at all of this and I keep looking at him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you praise for this morning. I just thank you for the opportunity to be able to come and, and worship you. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we, we finish out this day. Uh, let us have the confidence to know, God, that you are with us. You are right here with us at this moment. You are surrounding us. You, you, you know the struggle we have before we even understand it. Let us put our hope and trust in you. And as we close with this final song, Lord, just let our spirits just lift up to you everything that we have. If it's joy, then let us express joy. Lord, if it's pain, let us express that pain. Lord, if we have a need this morning, let us express that. Let's just place it before you. And trust you to meet us right where we're at and give us exactly what we need because you are awesome and you are great. We give you praise in all of it. In your name we pray. Amen.